Hello everyone and welcome to Game Dev Diary, a podcast where we discuss the career journeys of gaming veterans. I'm your host, Ahmed Can, and I'm here to help you kickstart your career in gaming or improve yourself by learning from the failures and successes of others. Welcome to the Game Dev Diary. Today I have with me a, a fellow writer from the Constructor of Fun, Chris Brosso, Director of LiveOps Live from Cyber. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, so I, I want to start immediately talking about your experience because there are lots of things uh, I want to touch upon. And actually, the first thing that I want to ask you is, uh, you didn't start your career right off with the gaming industry, and you you worked at other you worked in another industry before joining the gaming industry. So can you tell a bit more about your experience before gaming and how you made the transition into the gaming industry back then? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, okay, so I've always wanted to be in games, right? Uh, so when I was a kid, I didn't really know what to do. So I didn't know how to hell to get into games. There's no game schools, nothing like that. So uh, I think it was in grade seven, someone said, become a software engineer. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, so then I started looking into that. And then that's kind of how I guided my whole career to get into games. So I uh, went to school, you know, in uh, Canada, in a place called London, Ontario, uh, which we always called the, the bad London, because uh, you would get calls sometimes from like people from London, UK, and then you'd be like, oh, you know, you want to hook up? And I'm like, no, no, like we're not, I'm in a different place, different country. Anyways. Not um, that London. Yeah. Yeah. Not that London. So anyways, so. I went to school and then I got an internship doing quality assurance at a bank. So I did that for a bit. Uh, and then that's where I kind of learned a lot more about like how software engineering like work, how the whole process works. I met product managers for the first time, you know, stuff like that. Um, and that was really cool. And I learned a lot from just from that, to be honest, and how slow a bank is. Uh, not, not for me. Anyways, then I went to... Then I did, you know, continue my school. And then when I got out, I worked in a debt collection place. So like I did some uh, SQL reports and stuff like that on debt collection. I did that for about three years and I learned a lot about debt, which is super interesting. Uh, and then how the laws work and all this kind of stuff and just how many people are in debt, which is actually a lot, uh, especially in Canada, like, you know, because it's sort of concentrated. And uh yeah. And then from there, I wanted to get out. Like, I wanted to make it into games for, like, ever. So I just kind of grinded it away for, like, a few years there. And, you know, just that was my first real job and stuff like that. And then I was like, okay, I got to do something. So then I contacted some friends from school, you know, from the college where I went. And I said, hey, why don't we try to make a game together? So back then, there's this... uh platform called xna i think it was and anybody can make a game and put it on the xbox you can just publish it on the xbox um which is pretty cool so i said well let's just try that we'll make like a little indie game uh and i got i think seven people involved so i was working before this job at a grocery store and i got like a sound engineer guy to um like he was he was this guy was in school for sound and i got him to make the, the audio for the game got some artists uh, that we knew to help us. And there were like four engineers and we just kind of made this game. Uh, we spent like six months just kind of building it every week. We would meet up and then, uh, it's called dragons versus spaceships. And we ended up 
shipping it on the Xbox. So, yeah. So, so your first kind of like step into the game industry was making a game for the Xbox with dragons and spaceships. It's called Dragons versus Spaceships. Yeah, you can. I think you could still find it online if you look. But it's a it's a shitty Xbox game. You know, it's like it's like a top down shooter. It it didn't sell anything. Like all this kind of stuff. But um, that's so. If it, look, long story short, so like when I was when I was trying to get a job in the game industry, almost every junior position job that I was looking at kept saying you need minimum one year experience. Right? And I was like, what the hell? How do you even do that? Like, that makes no sense. So I was like, well, I don't know. I was like, this is weird. Anyway, so then I was like, well, how do I get one year experience? I'm like, I guess I'll just build something myself to get that experience. Right. And I ended up applying um, in London, Ontario. There's a few game companies. There's a, a place called uh, Digital Extremes, which I'm sure you've heard of. They make Warframe. Before that, they were doing a lot of work for hire. So they were doing like, a lot of the uh, old and real games, uh, and they were doing a lot of that kind of stuff. And then there's a place called Big Blue Bubble. So I don't know if you know them. They make uh, My Singing Monsters. I think was one of their biggest games on mobile. Yeah, at the time. I, I heard that. Of, I heard of, yeah. of that game. Yeah. Yeah. So there's only those two big companies in London, Ontario at the time, and I had applied to both, but actually sent the wrong cover letter to each. So I put like at the top, I put. Dear, like digital extremes or whatever. And I sent that one to Big Blue Bubble. Anyways, after that, I was kind of blacklisted from both because they're both just like, no, nah, this guy's no, no attention to detail, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, I was pretty bummed out. I thought it was over. Anyways, and then I started working on my own game. After that, I was like, nah, fuck these guys. Uh, I'll just make my own thing. And then that's how like Dragons versus Spaceships came to be. We made it, uh, shipped it on the Xbox. And then I remember trying to push it really hard. We got like, uh, I got written up in the local newspaper. Uh, that's where I, I reached out to some guy who was running a contest for all these indie games. And I got our game put into this contest. We had to make like a trailer for it. We made a trailer for this whole organization. This guy actually that I, I worked with is now like pretty high up at Microsoft Games, which is pretty cool. Um, so I don't know, that's kind of funny. So, um, Anyway, so then I started kind of going to different conventions locally and showing this game off to people. And just like, it was just, you know, at that point, the group that was working on it, we all fell apart. Like everybody was like angry and, and you know, all these like internal conflicts. Everybody was working it part-time for free, that kind of stuff. And it, the game almost never, almost didn't ship. I had to kind of try to get it out to completion. Um, yeah, so I was just, so it's just me showing it off at a booth. And I was like, ah. Oh, you know, me and some friends, we worked on this and blah, 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 and we finished it. And then there was a new company that's kind of old, but they wanted to expand in London, Ontario, called Big Viking Games. So they were hiring a lot of people and they were at that convention and they saw the game. And the CEO was more impressed that I convinced like seven people to work for free for six months than the actual game itself. And uh, anyway, so we got to talking and then... Yeah, we interviewed, and that's how I got into the industry. So he hired me as a game designer. Yeah, the convincing six or seven other people to work for free for six months, I think, yeah, that that's actually harder than, like, working on any game or, like, I don't design any game. Yeah, that, that's a very fair point. 
it's it's tough. It's really tough to keep people motivated, especially as a group. And uh, it's just tough. But we just met every week. That's what I did. I said every week, let's meet and just chipped away, you know, a bit at a time. And like for that uh, game, Dragons versus Spaceships, did you have any, I don't know, like have any targets or I don't know, aims for that game to let's finish it in this timeline in in this in this platform with these kinds of like uh i don't know kpis or was it just like let's get together and um, build a game it was just let's get together build a game and ship it because to me this is where i think most people kind of get it wrong is for me you the product is not done until someone can give you money for it that's how i like to look at a product because a lot of people ship Or they'll write something, even books, right? They might write a book and never release it. So to me, you've never written a book, right? So like, if, if I can't buy your book, then you've never written a book. Same with the game. So that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to get it to release. And it was because it was on the Xbox, we had to go through the Xbox's QA verification, meaning like back in the day, Guitar Hero and Rock Band were really big. So our game had to work with a Guitar Hero guitar. So... So we had to do all kinds of stupid shit like that. So I had to go into the code and fucking debug it with the guitar. You know, just stupid things like that to make sure it worked. Um, just to get it to release. Like it took me like another month where, like I said, most of the team had quit. It was just me just trying to fucking get it get it out to, to finish it. Because I wanted to use that to get a job. That was, that was my main goal. Now, I, I think this, this is going to be a really nice segue to my next question. Apart from uh, making sure you send the cover, correct cover letter to the correct team that you want to apply, uh, what, do, what do you recommend to people trying to get into the industry? I guess it's going to be quite similar to what you went through back at your time, but I don't know if there is anything that you want to talk about for people that are trying to get a job in the games industry today in 2024. Look, I think it's tough. I think back when I got in, it was tough because there was no clear way to get in. Now I think it's tough because there's so many people trying to get in, right? So that's, I think it's like, just the market, it's super competitive. I would, I would guess. I did a bit of a mentorship at IGDA, like for you know, trying to help people get in and stuff. So I, I learned a lot of their struggles when I was doing that. I would say it depends on your position, right? If you're an artist, just, you just got to make things. You just got to make stuff. That's the best way to do it. I know there's a lot of schools where they do internships and stuff like that. Maybe look into that. But even then, I think I remember talking to some of the interns when I was at Zynga. And they're like, oh, there's like 100 people in my class and only two people got an internship. So I think that's a big problem. Uh, go to places, like go to conventions, meet people, uh, write something on Deconstructor of Fun. You know, if you, if you want to do a Deconstruct, just show off that you know your stuff and meet people and show them a thing. Is what I would say. So whatever your your field is, is, if you're software engineer, show some code, make a thing, make a product, and talk about how you did it in the code and how you, you know, uh, how you structured it and all that. If you're if you're a producer, well then you just gotta form a team and then make a game with it, right? Which is tough, It's super hard. Game designers, I find when I talk to them, they they always get stuck, and I always say, well, well build a board game. Build a board game. That's a that's still a game. Show your design talent. Show that you can think of that kind of stuff. Um, that's that's what I would say. Is there's no real good way to get into product management. I think it's a strange uh, yeah. path. I think that's a lot of people go to school. I think for that. 
for that one. Um, it's not for everybody. I, I didn't go to school for that one. I just kind of I fell mean, into it. Is there any like proper school for product management? I'm not sure. It's still, yeah. Kind of business, I think. Just uh, like, yeah. I've seen a few come from business school and, and you know. Yeah, that, that is true. There's a business school definitely helps to a certain extent with product management. But in general, like for any type of like whatever you do, it's important to display your skill and display that you can get stuff done. Like it doesn't matter what type of things you are doing, like uh, if you're an artist or a developer or a game designer, just show that like no matter how, I don't know, difficult it is to enter, make sure that you can get stuff done because then people are going to realize that, okay, if we give any kind of task or responsibility to this person, they're going to get it done. You don't need to always keep an eye over their work or like always uh, like have a really close relationship with them. We can just trust them to get stuff done while we get on with our work. Exactly. And yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, that, that's that's really, yeah, I totally agree with that. And after uh, Big, Big Vikings, uh, you continued your working at EA, Natural Motion, and Cyber with like increasing responsibilities. And when you look at back your journey, uh, was there any, I don't know, kind of key uh, moment or key actions that you took to grow yourself, both personally and professionally? Well, this is what I would say just in general. is just, you just got to fail, like a lot. So even like trying to get into games, right? It's just, I guess, kind of going back a bit to that. Put yourself out there. And you'll probably get rejected like a million times, but you just got to keep trying, right? You got you to take the rejection and just move on. Just keep going and going and going. It's just a numbers game. It's a, and, but the same thing. So like when I was a big Viking, I was, uh, didn't really know what I was doing. Like, like I just, as a game designer and I started working on a, an aquarium game and it was like back when Facebook games are huge and, and, and there's a fish world, it's called fish world. And, I was, and then, what was really cool there was that the when I was there, we were 13 people, I think, when I started, and it grew to 100. So um, I was there from you know, close to the beginning of their, their growth as Big Viking. And uh, the guy who was running it, you know, he saw me taking initiative with the team, and he kind of saw that, oh, I can let go of things. I can not worry about this. I can not worry about that. I can sleep better. I can go on vacation and Chris, Chris will get it. So then with that, he started giving me more and more responsibility. So I would say just kind of make it like at the beginning, just make your boss's life easier. That's all you can do, right? It's just like, look at what your boss is doing. Go, oh, I could probably take that from them and that from them and that from them. And try to take things. That's like the number one like, tip at the beginning anyways. Um, and that's, anyway, so by doing that, he gave me more responsibility and that's how I became a producer there. And again, I didn't know what the hell a producer was. So I just tried things, tried to run a team the way I thought made sense, read some books, went to some courses, went to things like, uh, you know, uh, what was it? Montreal, the Montreal Game Convention, you know, went there and, and listened to some people from like Ubisoft talk about how they would run a Assassin's Creed with 3000 people, you know, and I was like, okay. What if I can take this idea and do it with 40 people, you know, 30 people um, and just try things. And then some things will work, some things won't. But you got to fail a lot to succeed is what I would say from that point. Um, then I guess that 
I don't know, on Need for Speed. So, you know, I worked on Need for Speed at EA. I mean, that was crazy. That was like, that felt like my first, like, real game job, I guess, where I was like, okay, this is a big title. And I, I, I was there when uh, they're in soft launch and we worked on it for like, I think, eight months or nine months, still in soft launch. I did most of the economy, from what I remember on that, and a lot of the events and stuff like that. And there was a lot of responsibility for something I hadn't really done too much of. But again, I'm really, really happy that the people that were there gave me the trust and and the responsibility that they gave me because it allowed me to, again, just try some stuff and learn a lot. So that was really, really cool. Um, Yeah. And then, yeah, I guess I was there for a while. I worked on Sims, Sims as well, Sims Replay for a bit. Like for a long time, actually. Um, and there was like, just trying shit. So I read a lot of economy books. I read a lot of psychology books. And I would just, um, yeah, I would just read and then try it in game. Read, try it in game. Try these little experiments and learn and build my own knowledge base on this works, this works, this doesn't work, this works, this doesn't work. And that, having that freedom is, is really good. But it's hard, it's hard to find. Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of a lot to unwrap there, but I want to start with the first point that you talked about, take, taking more responsibility and uh, helping your team or your manager actually have a I don't know like better life, have an easier time. So while doing that, because that's something that lots of other people also talk about, but while doing that, was there any uh, kind of method or main fr- mental framework that you were kind of applying to detect those things that you? manager were struggling with or your team was struggling with? Was there anything that you were deliberately doing while trying to pick those things where, where you were trying to help your manager? No, I think I would just observe like what he would do and then kind of copy, you know, and be like, okay, like this is how he's running his meeting. This is how he's doing this. This is how he's doing this. Then I would just slowly start to kind of grab the responsibility and be like, hey, I... I don't, I can do this if you don't want to come to it. And I just say that a lot. Like, hey, uh, you know, Greg, like, hey, like, I'll, I'll do this part if you want. And you can just stay out of it, stay out of the meeting. And that's cool. And then it would save him time. And then he would then check back in and eventually build that trust. And as the trust built, uh, then I would get more responsibility. So it's just about asking. Because if you don't ask, uh, you won't get, because people don't know. Right, people aren't thinking, what does this person want? So I've always like thought that just like ask, even if it's weird, even if it's awkward, just ask. Yeah, that the point with being weird or awkward, I think, I think is the one that uh, I don't know stops lots of people from like asking or wanting more responsibility because uh, should I really bother my manager or like is it really my job? But it's the there is a saying. Like, uh, do the job that you want to get, and then you're going to get the job. So, like, it's literally taking more responsibility and you showing that, okay, yeah, I'm really ready for the next step or whatever there is, like, professionally, and yeah. then going, uh, like, step by step while proving that you can actually do all of this, those things that people are going to expect from you. Exactly. And then if you, if you just get it done, you know, again, the first few times, the manager will probably check in on you a few times, but once you've to be honest, like two or three successful attempts at it, start to back off and you start to get a bit more freedom and you get to start experimenting with things. And that's usually what I would say. Yeah, just kind of do, just just make it so that the manager doesn't have to worry at all. Now, 
then what happens this is like again tied to another thing that you said because you also said that you need to fail a lot and learn a lot so that you can kind of learn or understand what to do so that you can avoid them in the future but what happens when you try to take on more responsibility you what happens when you try to help your manager you actually screw up you fail how do you deal with those situations i don't know, like was there anything that you experienced in a similar vein where you tried to manage a failure where you were like trying to do more and like ended up actually failing that yeah so it was a lot so when i was at big viking that's probably where i did most of my failing to be honest um most of my like hardcore failing it was, it was disastrous and uh i don't know i just had this like weird sense that oh yeah like i know what i'm doing and you know i had the guy who had uh this guy that i worked with is super interesting he created this game called Yoville. And then, so you know Farmville and Cityville and all these games? So that came from a game called Yoville. And he sold it to Zynga. So actually, Zynga started off by buying mm-hmm. Yoville, turning That's that really code cool. into Farmville. So he was almost like, to be honest, he's a bit of the inventor of free-to-play. But free-to-play wasn't <laughs> really a thing before him. It was really, really interesting learning from him. Like, I learned a lot from this guy. Okay, so then anyway, so he gave me more responsibility. He kind of gave me ownership to just make the game you want, right? And it was like, I don't know. He should have never done that, to be honest. But spent a long time making this game. It came out, big flop, did nothing. It's called like Mech Force or whatever. And it was like the whole team was invested into it. And he was invested and the company had invested a lot of money into it. And it was just like acknowledging the failure at the different levels, right? So... It's like at the top, which was with him and the other owner and all that kind of stuff, just talking about how it happened, why it happened, dissecting it, almost doing like a deconstruct, right? like, like we like to do. And then you do a deconstruct of the situation. It's very similar. And then with the, the team, you go, it's not on you. Like it's on, like, you know, I made a lot of these decisions. So a lot of it's on me or, or, you know, me and these guys made these decisions. So you guys just did your best and, and it didn't work out and that's okay. And, you know, we, we get another shot. Now we're going to try this other thing and this is how we're going to learn from our mistakes. And like, I don't know, something that was, again, super easy now thinking about it, mistake to avoid was we just built no tools. So we just built this game and we couldn't expand on it because it wasn't built systematically and we didn't have tools for it and all this kind of stuff. Next game we built, we had all these tools that way we can build up content super quick and you know, again, is looking back now, you're like, oh, of course you're gonna build tools. But back in the day when it's like still Facebook days, you didn't really know. You're like, and mo- mobile just started, so uh, it's all like trying to be fast and scrappy and and all this kind of stuff. So we didn't make that mistake the second time, but then that game failed for different reasons, and then the third game failed for different reasons. So it's like every everything was kind of a you learn stuff, and these these are all things that I took with me throughout my career, actually, still, still now to this day, I still remember these things because you still remember this, this thing of the failure. And then as long as you learn from it, that's all you got to do. Just learn from it and try to mitigate it. When I got to EA, the failures were not so catastrophic because EA had some nice systems in place to minimize the, the failures. Yeah. And like, you, you don't have to get specific, I don't know, like, field specific knowledge from your failures but you can still use those core uh, i don't know learnings that they can help you in the next steps of your journey i i totally agree with that yeah exactly and throughout that journey and throughout trying different things you started and you also 
said that actually that you started as a game designer, then continued as a producer and shifted to the product management side of things. Can you talk a bit more about that and how, how the transition came to be? And was that, I don't know, planned at all? Or was that just a spontaneous thing, uh, things like happened? Uh, can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, super random. Okay, so I told you I kind of always wanted to be in games and I didn't know how and I became a software engineer, right? So then I started off as a game designer. And to be honest, what I thought a game designer was and what a game designer actually does was very disconnected. I don't know why when just I think maybe everybody gets that sense and then you're like you just spend all your time in excel sheets and you're like what the hell is this this is not game design but um that was a super interesting thing for me but I guess remember how I told you I'd worked on that dragons versus spaceships game so I was the one almost like producing that game I was trying to lead the team I was setting up all the meetings I was tasking giving people like hey you do this part you do this part you do this part we'll meet up blah 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 so I kind of naturally became good at that while doing that project. And when I came into Big Viking, same thing. So I was a game designer, but I was also almost product owning. That's what we call it now. Back in the day, we didn't have a good name for it. So then they're like, okay, well, you can be a producer. So at that point, a producer is like a product owner. So I would just decide on the roadmap and what's the next thing and what's the next update and how we're going to do it and then execute on it. Um, that's how I fell into the producer role. And then as the team grew, I had a scrum master join me and, and he's, he's really good. Uh, he's working I think in Vancouver now. And, and um, anyways, and he, this guy is a real producer, like as you know him now, you know, he did, did scrum. He did like, he knew all the Jira shit. He did, he was a real producer. And I was looking back now, I'm like, it was more of a product owner role than a producer role. So that makes sense. And then the product management, I don't even know what the hell that was. So when I was at Big Viking, I was like working on these these games, right? These mostly Facebook games, turning them into mobile games. And I was like, ah, oh, if I want to continue my career, I really want to get a big name, a big title, like under under my belt, because it's a bit like a it's a bit like the movie business, right? And you, you know, the the better your titles, the easier it is to make a career out of it and get a job and all this kind of stuff. So I saw on LinkedIn. EA was hiring, uh, I think, 12 product managers or something. And I was like, oh, okay, I read the description of it on LinkedIn. And I was like, that sounds kind of like what I'm doing as a product owner. And then I just did the, you know, the quick apply thing. I did the quick apply. And then I got an interview. And then I got an interview in Canada to go work on Simpsons Tapped Out. So they flew me there, did the interview, came back, and they said, oh, we're hiring internally, we're promoting internally, but we really like you, we want you somewhere at EA. I was like, okay, so I, you know, I was talking to the recruiter and, and then she's like, where do you wanna work? And I was like, dunno, not sure, blah, 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 kinda I'm an odd for a while. And then I think it was like the middle of winter, it was like December in Canada or something, it's fucking cold. And then uh, we're on the phone and she, I'm like, do you have any positions in Australia? And she's like, Australia? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, is there any snow in Australia? She's like, no. I'm like, then yeah, yeah. Australia sounds good. And then she's like, you want to go to Australia? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, is there any positions there? She's like, well, let me check. Next day, uh, I get on with the recruiter from Australia. I talk to him. He's like, yeah, cool. Let's hook you up with the team. The day after I talk to the Neve Speed team, one hour interview. And then the day after I get a job offer. And I was like, oh my fucking God. Okay. I guess I'm moving to Australia. And I'm like, Jesus. So anyways, um, 
that's how I became a product manager. I had no idea what the hell it was. Going in, I had no idea what the hell it was. And I learned on the job, basically. Yeah, the, the, I, I don't know about the skill-wise progression, but the location-wise, that, that's totally random. Like, uh, <laughs> I really like, like, just in the middle of in the winter in Canada, which I assume is like minus, I don't know, 15, 20 degrees, yeah. something like yeah. that, freezing yeah. cold. And like, is there anywhere that where I can work that is a bit warmer? Okay, look at the map, <laughs> Australia, any position. Yeah, it's, I don't know, like, kind of a stars aligned kind of moment probably and yeah things figured out it, it was it was and it, and like the skills were very similar to the product owner role where it was like you know you got to kind of decide what are you going to build next you have to pitch for it you have to so it's very similar actually to to building a game right so that's why the kind of skills aligned a little bit and i was just a, a base level product manager at the time so i went from like running a team to just working as a as a individual computer contributor but it was at ea so it was like i was like yeah my world was changed i was like okay this is the big leagues now like i'm i'm here this is going to be interesting they know what they're doing right and then anyways it turns out no one knows what they're doing that's what i learned <laughs> yeah actually i want to talk about that change from like leading a big team in a small company to being a specialist in a large company how hmm. does that transition feel like both Personally, because like you, you lead it like I don't know, like 20, 30, even a larger team, and you have more responsibility. It kind of appeals to your like ego because like it feels nice to have that kind of responsibility. And then you end up in a very like specialist position where you are tasked with a very small part of a whole like much much larger product. So both personally and also professionally, how does that feel, and how how did you deal with that transition to? Uh, adapt yourself yeah it was okay so i am not one to ever keep my opinions to myself so i always say what i think always have it's it's always worked out or got me in trouble either way but it usually works out right so um it didn't change in terms of like i just looked at what i controlled on the team and what i had the ability to change and it's like it's like being on the lead, right? It's like the lead, it's a much higher level and much more like directional and just kind of trying to keep everybody aligned. Whereas this was more like, okay, I've got my little part. I've got a little team that's going to help me make this thing. And it's like the, but that part was still really important to the the whole vision of the game. And the leads were really good. And the, the, the structure I was in was very, very good. It was a good scrum structure. And it was like, we just got shit done. And it was, it was really nice. And, um, I guess I didn't really think of it too much because I'd gone from a unknown company to EA. So I was humbled by that. just that. Just that I was like, okay, here to learn. And this is going to be interesting um, no matter what. And this is going to, if I do a good job, you know, this should help set up my career is, is all I thought. I just kept my head down and just thought that. And then I just spoke whatever I thought like about the game. I criticized. I just said, this doesn't make any sense. This is why it doesn't make any, you know, would explain that kind of stuff. So I never held back because of my role, I guess. I never, that's almost, that's in any any position. I've never uh, not said something just because of my role. I always just say something because of, and then back it, right? With like logic and thoughts and stuff. Yeah, speaking, yeah. Up, speaking up to the truth you believe in and like coming up with also the facts that actually support that truth or like that opinion. I think that that's like a very 
I don't know, like reusable advice at any point in your life, both personal and professional, I guess. Yep, absolutely. And sometimes yeah. facts don't work and that's okay. You yeah. just, you just gotta know. You just gotta be okay. Well, I tried my best and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the disagree and commit thing. Yeah. That, that's also important to uh, yeah. take, be aware of. Yeah. Now, uh, now you are uh, running the live ops in of in one of the of one of the biggest IPs uh, in the mobile gaming world at Cyber for Subway Surfers. So, uh, how does it feel uh, running the live ops for such a large IP and like how how is it how is that experience going for you? It's fucking cool. <laughs> it's very cool. It's like uh, it's a it's a big you know it's it's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of players. People love this game, so it's like, well, just don't fuck it up, right? And uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun. The team's really good, um, really, really good, so they make it easy, right? Um, and the company's super supportive, and it's just like, I'm loving it, to be honest. And even a reaction from people. So when I was at EA, there's a lot of hate for EA, right? There's a lot of hate. People, even outside of games, are like, oh, the worst company in the world. And you're like, come on, like, it's... They're actually really good to work for. EA is really good to work for. I would work for EA again. Um, but the public opinion is never good. Same with Zynga. People don't really like Zynga. But I learned a lot at Zynga from product management. And they're, they're like top-notch level product management there. Um, and when I would go to conventions and things like that, people would be like, oh, what do you work on? I'm like, oh, Sims. And people would like the Sims as general, but not Sims free play. They, oh, need for speed. People like need for speed, but never the mobile version. And then Zynga, people would just be like, meh, right? And then, so the, the reaction was always meh. Whereas on, you know, people are like, oh, what do you work on? And I'm like, Subway Surfers. And they're like, what? And they, you know, they take out their phones. They show me their highest score. They're like, this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I work on that now. And then they're like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And I even got like a discount on my internet here in Denmark because of it. Because I told the guy and then he's like, oh my God, I'll give you a deal. And I'm like, okay, it's random. So uh, that's fun. That part's really fun. Yeah, the, the the best part about like I I've, I've been talking about this with other guests in the podcast as well. I think uh, working in the gaming industry is the coolest job to have after being an astronaut. Like and yeah. maybe <laughs> and maybe being a professional athlete because they they also are quite cool. But after those two things, I think working in the gaming industry is the coolest thing that you can do professionally. So I think that's uh, really uh, that that's really the most fun uh, part of the job. Yeah, I think so too. And about the, because like connected to our like discussion with the failure and learning from failures, as you said, it's the one of the biggest IPs and there is a lot at stake with events and running live ops and making changes to the game. So, but you still need to try new things and like shake things a little bit because literally events and live ops, that's your uh, main response responsibility. So how do you balance the, the, there is a lot uh, at stake feeling with the we need to shake shake things up how do you balance that in the day-to-day operations um again i always like to try to experiment with stuff so we have you know a b testing tools you know at work and 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 we just a b test most things before we push them out live and it's uh that just limits the risk it makes it so it's almost no risk right and then it's just all about balancing the what you what you the risk reward Okay, so how long is this feature going to take? Is that worth? Is that going to be worth it? In your opinion, in your your thinking, in your projections, in your calculations, right? You could do a lot of a lot of math and a lot of uh, excelling to just kind of find out 
is it worth the effort? If not, what's a smaller scope version that we can test out before we develop the bigger scope version, stuff like that. Then events. So I've always liked, I've done this from Need for Speed as well in Sims is like events is the place to experiment. It's always a place to try stuff because it's temporary. So you just try some things and then if it works, you do it again next season. Or if it really works, you bring it into the main game and you bring your learnings into the main part of the game and stuff like that. So it's a uh, go nuts and events is what I would always say because yeah, it's temporary. So yeah. it's temporary by nature. Therefore, it's, it's that's where you can learn. No, yeah, definitely. Especially like make sure you're A-B testing the main changes and with the events, make sure like using those past learnings or I don't know, like the results that you got out of the specific changes to the main game. Yeah, definitely. Those are like things that you need to be careful about. Yeah. Now talking about failures and like things that you are learning from, I want to end our discussion with a kind of a time travel question. When you look at back, back, back at your career so far, uh, is there anything that you would change if you had the chance to? Is there anything that you would like to go back in time and change to, I don't know, make things better or I don't know, anything uh, that you can think of? Like I don't like to, like there's nothing really specific that I would change. The only thing that I would maybe adapt, let's say, is, is so I was really, really uh, focused on getting promoted early in my career. Like I was just always like, every meeting with my boss is like one minute. And I think that's going to be a bigger problem as we, as we enter an age of uh, uh, the, the, the new generation where they're, 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 they just want things quicker, right? Because uh, everything's available to them right away. And I think then they get into the career and, and, and everything's really slow. Everything's still really slow and, and, and chuggy, right? So, and I kind of felt like that getting into. Anyways, I was told by somebody very wise who had been in the industry for like 30 years, this guy had worked on FIFA and all this kind of stuff. Uh, he said, Chris, just shut the fuck up and do a good job and you'll get promoted. And I remember going, okay. I'll try that for one year, one year. And then I think I got promoted like that year, the year after that. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. This actually works. So just like, just doing that earlier, it's <laughs> basically is what I would say. And, uh, learning that lesson, it would have been nice to have known before. Yeah. And now I, I still do that now. Now I'm just like, I'll just do a good job and then just wait, you know, again, ask for things, but don't just be annoying about it. Just bring it up at the appropriate time and stuff like that. But just do a good job and good things will happen. So I wish I'd known that before. Yeah, very wise, wise words. And like, it's like asking for responsibility yeah. is different than asking for promotion or asking for titles. So like, exactly. I think those are two different things. And the first is totally like that shows that you're actually doing your job and you want to do more. The second is sometimes like there is the feeling like entitlement and all of that stuff so yeah the, the second is more needs more balancing and i also totally agree with the like the kind of the culture that we live in like everything is extremely available everything moves extremely fast but it's not the case professionally there is always that's definitely a slower uh, like part of life because you need to learn you need to grow you need to be you need to like you discuss you want to show that you can ex actually do all of the stuff that you are going to be asked for so it's not it's not going to be like a risk someone promoting you but it's going to be like they are going to be sure 
they are going to be already seeing the things like uh, in work. So yeah, I think I totally agree with that wise advice. Awesome. Yep. Yep. So uh, Chris, if uh, our listeners want to reach out to you or I, I don't know, get your advice on other things, how can they reach out to you? Uh, how can they, how can they, I don't know, get in touch with you? On LinkedIn, it's fine. I add everyone who wants to add me and I, I, I respond a lot. So uh, I always stay connected, very connected on LinkedIn to people and always happy to chat. And so uh, just a curiosity of me, is there any other uh, large uh, piece of the constructor of fun uh, title in the future? Because you've written a huge Marvel Snap uh, article. Yep. Like it yep. was extremely helpful in understanding the game. And you also wrote the Warcraft uh, Rumble article as well. It was also a, a really like large deconstruction. Is there any other large deconstruction underway, or are you waiting for the next I don't know Marvel Snap of or Warcraft Rumble? So, so I only like to do them when the game's actually interesting and when I'll play it for more than a month. So I don't know if you're you like me, like you go through games like all mm-hmm. all the time, but I don't stick to many. So at the moment, nothing has uh, gripped me yet. But I have actually stopped playing Warcraft Rumble. I've stopped. So now I've got space for something new. So I don't know. I'll probably go okay. look. And then if I find something, yeah, probably another one. Yeah, be on the lookout. Another uh, one hour read from uh, Chris <laughs> is on the way. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. Chris, again, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. It was really nice talking to you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And see you in the next uh, episode. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Game Dev Diary. If you like the podcast, you can subscribe to it or share it with your friends. If you want to read my notes from this episode or the previous ones, you can also subscribe to the newsletter through the link in the show notes. See you in the next episode.